Hello, and welcome to the weekly market podcast from BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Moore, Senior Investment Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Dominic D'Alto, the CIO of the fixed income business at BNP Paribas. So we'll be talking about uh, fixed income, about bond yields, the outlook for credit. Let's start off, nonetheless, with the earnings season, one of the key things uh, driving markets broadly that we've seen over the last week and not sure that you've gotten this message from the press, but actually it's been a pretty good season so far, despite what we know are terrible headline figures, earnings growth minus 40% overall for the companies in the S&P 500 that have reported. Uh, But we need to keep in mind, number one, that a lot of those declines in earnings are driven by the financial sector because you have banks increasing loan loss reserves in anticipation of challenging economic times ahead, which is probably quite realistic. Also, a significant amount of losses coming from the airline industry, not a real surprise there. However, if you look at earnings excluding financials and airlines, so we'll take out all the bad stuff for a moment, uh, they're only down 11%. And in the context of what we've gone through over the last several months, honestly, that doesn't seem so bad. More importantly, though, the earnings surprises on all the companies that have reported so far have been very positive, about 14% above expectations, which is one of the highest surprise, positive surprise rates we've seen. Normally, in a quarter, you have maybe 3% or less positive earnings surprises, and we have 14%. So, so far, so good, honestly, despite, again, the very bad headline figures. On the pandemic front, honestly, the data a bit more mixed. Uh, Actually, we do see the rate of new infections falling for now. Uh, The deaths associated with uh, COVID-19 are steady, so at least not getting worse. And the hospitalization rate is at a new low, at least from from the peaks that we saw several months ago. So on balance, uh, not so bad, not getting worse, at least certainly too soon to say that it's getting much better. If there's something that we may need to be worried about, though, it could be, in fact, Europe. We're, of course, all quite focused on what's happening in the U.S. around the pandemic. Uh, But in Europe, 11 out of 19 countries where we've been tracking the infection rates, they're actually rising. So in the same way uh, that the U.S., as it's come out of lockdown, has seen rising rates, Europe is seeing the same thing, if not yet, at the same rate that you've had in the U.S. Otherwise, the key story for the market has been perhaps a rollover in some of the economic data. In particular, we had initial jobless claims, uh, which came in uh, worse than expected and above the data that you had had in the previous week. So concerns that as states start either pausing on coming out of lockdowns or in some cases, say in California, reimposing restrictions, uh, that that's going to, of course, you would imagine, hit the labor market and questions about whether we're starting to see that already in the increase in initial jobless claims. Our environment then, if we think about kind of moving from the second quarter into the third quarter, uh, the story last quarter was, of course, a very strong returns for the equity markets, while in fixed income, bond yields, treasury yields in particular, uh, extremely stable, um, relatively little movement at a low level. And coming into July so far, it's been somewhat a similar story, good returns for equities, continued declines broadly in investment grade, and high-yield credit, uh, while we've seen uh, Treasury yields continuing to fall. Now, the question is, what does that all mean? 
if we think falling treasury yields reflect a worsening economic outlook or concerns on the part of investors. Uh, you could also say you're seeing that in rising gold prices, you might be a little concerned and think that the equity markets have got it all wrong. If, on the other hand, you think it's just support from the central banks, well, then maybe it's okay. And one of the key surprises, perhaps, is you wouldn't necessarily be expecting to see falling bond yields to the degree that we have, because as we've seen in Europe over the last week, and as we're discussing now in the U.S., governments are increasing fiscal stimulus, issuing more debt to try to offset the economic contraction caused by the pandemic. So we have the new generation EU, which is going to lead to $750 billion in additional Eurozone debt. The U.S. is talking about at least another trillion in fiscal stimulus that will be paid for by new bond issuance. So I'm going to now turn to you, Dom, and ask for some answers to some questions. Before all of this started, before the pandemic, we already were concerned about government debt burdens being too high, and now they're rising even more because of this fiscal spending to offset the coronavirus recession. Despite that increase in issuance, bond yields remain very low. How sustainable is that situation? Hi, Daniel, first of all. Um, so the answer to that, I think, is a bit tricky in so far as it's largely dependent on a number of different criteria. Um, let me hi highlight three of the most significant ones, as I see it. Um, first, near-term outcomes of the pandemic, as you mentioned, are going to matter a lot. Uh, just as they have since the beginning of the crisis, uh, if the infection and death rates persist or worsen without the, pro uh, the, the prospect of either a vaccine or some sort of, uh, some sort of treatment, uh, governments around the world will be forced to continue or even increase their fiscal support, furthering the increase of their debt. Um, countries whose bonds serve as a safe haven in times of crisis will likely continue to see extraordinarily low absolute yields, regardless of their debt load, due to the extraordinary demand for safe instrument store of value, if you will. In particular, those countries that enjoy fiat currency status, such as the U.S. and Japan, will see even more continued demand for their paper, uh, as there'll be few, few places left to hide if things get worse on the pandemic side. So um, further still, these countries have the ability to print money, uh, and, and so to deflate the impact of their rising debt. And, and just keep in mind, that's a luxury that the individual countries of the EU don't enjoy because they have a centralized currency. The second criteria is the ultimate uh, economic impact of the crisis in the context of what was an already weak global economy, as you mentioned. Uh, remember that bond yields have been negative for years. This was due to the continued need for the ECB to maintain over-accommodated policies given an anemic economic growth in Europe. If economic growth fails to revive, we can be sure that all the major central banks around the world will continue to throw everything that they can at the problem. Um, this Sunday, interestingly, will mark the eight-year anniversary of the, the speech given by Mario Draghi, stating that, uh, otherwise known as the Bumblebee speech, stating that the ECB would do whatever it takes. Well, last week, leaders of the 27 EU member states created a groundbreaking joint economic recovery package that certainly makes good on the fiscal side of that statement as well. So importantly, unprecedented coordination between fiscal and monetary authorities is allowing the region to unleash unprecedented stimulus 
which should continue to bring down peripheral borrowing costs and yields in general. Just moving quickly over to the U.S., the Fed as well as the Treasury have also enacted and forecast further policies, which would do much the same. So this, at a minimum, at a minimum will maintain the low rate regime and may even force prevailing rates lower and for longer. And the third and last criteria that we need to consider is time. To be sure, we believe that this phenomenon will be sustained for some time to come. However, on a longer-term basis, uh, the, the current and soon-to-be-growing amount of fiscal spending is just unsustainable. Um, I regret to say that it will probably end badly for many of these countries if and when risk premiums begin to get dictated more by the balance sheet fundamentals uh, no different than what we saw in the Southern European peripheral countries back in 2011 uh, than they are now. And at that point, interest rates will indeed have to rise, but it's not going to be for the right reasons. It won't be necessarily because growth and receipts will have improved or the debt has been reduced, but rather because the credit risk of these countries will have risen. What we've seen in terms of falling spreads for investment grade credit, for high yield credit, uh, in line with, generally speaking, rising equity markets, at times seems out of line with the economic data that, or at least the impression that we have of economic growth. And in particular, as I mentioned, with rising infection rates, uh, restrictions being reimposed in several states or cities. Uh, we clearly see in the U.S. Uh, that the country is struggling to exit lockdowns. I mentioned uh, that even in Europe, there's concerns about a second wave and what that's going to imply for the ability of, of countries to get back to whatever is normal in terms of economic growth. If that's the scenario, if we do see kind of restrictions in place for longer and more places than we would like to see, could this not lead to a wave of corporate bankruptcies and default? And if that's the case, what do we see priced into investment grade and high-yield credit spreads? Well, to be sure, many sectors in the corporate bond market have suffered massive reductions in top-line revenues uh, due to the crisis already. Um, in aggregate, economic growth for the full year in 2020 is now projected to be at minus 6.5%. Uh, to put this in context, that projection was uh, about 2%, 2 to 2.5%, as recently as this past January. Um, in order to sustain even the bare minimum maintenance capital expenditure and debt servicing costs that's needed to keep companies running, if not simply solvent, many firms have become far more reliant on higher and higher levels of borrowing. Now, given unprecedented government support for corporate bonds around the globe, investors have been more and more willing to lend to these corporates despite these poor earnings prospects. Uh, and that's because central banks, as we mentioned before, have essentially become the buyer of last resort. Uh, so given this, last, this massive support, otherwise known as demand, and also given the significant borrowing needs that I mentioned earlier, otherwise known as supply, issuance of corporate bonds has hit records every month since April. April was a record, uh, May was a record, and June as well was a record. So I would caution, though, that the result of this supply-demand relationship can be quite misleading to the naked eye. Uh, High-yield spreads, or the risk premium demanded over government-equivalent bonds, have compressed significantly from their peaks in March. So in, uh, in the U.S., high-yield yields, for example, have tightened from uh, 1,090, or almost 11 percent, uh, to only 510 basis points today. In Europe, 
spreads in the same category compressed from 866 basis points uh, to 483 basis points in the same period. Um, to put these levels in perspective, the last time we saw spreads this tight was in February of this year, when, as I mentioned earlier, projected economic growth and the prospects of earnings growth was more, uh, and more importantly, cash flows were far more positive than they are today. So something is definitely out of whack. So to answer your question more directly, Daniel, um, the risk of delinquencies and defaults has absolutely risen. Um, one can't simply borrow their way toward prosperity, uh, particularly when forward earnings forecasts are declining in the multi-double-digit year-over-year uh, range as they are now. Currently, spreads have priced in a risk of default rates at about 3%, and that's wildly inconsistent with the forward base uh, scenario of the big three rating agencies, at least, which averages out to a consensus of about 9%. So, in short, high-yield credit spreads in particular are greatly at risk at their current level. Now, I will say that those statistics are in the aggregate, which means that there are some sectors that are in even greater risk. Think travel, lodging, entertainment, energy, and some sectors that are far less so. Think gold miners, healthcare, consumer staples, and the like. Um, and then lastly, I would point out that there are also some companies that haven't levered up as much as others. And those are the areas that we continue to see at least some modest value in where we're trying to focus most of our, uh, our asset allocation. If then, as you suggest, the rally in corporate bond spreads yields overdone, in what other areas of fixed income do you see value? And in particular, any thoughts about emerging market debt? Well, before we talk about emerging markets, and I think that's that's the right question, uh, I think it does make sense to highlight some takeaways from your first two questions first. Um, firstly, you know, given the heroic efforts of the EU, the ECB, and, uh, and the Fed, we continue to favor uh, peripheral sovereign countries. Italy, Greece, Spain, Portugal are all prime beneficiaries of the policy decisions that have been taken really for some time. But the recent agreements to help them, the recent agreements help them even more. So we believe that the spread compression between these countries and core countries like Germany, France, and Netherlands has more room to go. Secondly, I, I know I was pretty dour on credit, but most of our concern in the corporate space is fo focused on the high yield sector where fundamentals and sensitivity to economic challenges are far more significant. So uh, it, it's also where the most leverage lives. So we continue to believe that there is reasonable risk reward characteristics within the higher rated investment grade side of the sector. You also pick up a lot more uh, duration or exposure to, uh, uh, to, to government bond rates when you own the investment grade space. So I would start with that. Um, turning to, to emerging markets, uh, this sector clearly faced a series of significant drawdowns during the early days of the pandemic. And, and bear in mind, uh, they are where the pandemic started largely. If we think about uh, emerging markets, it's hard to ignore, uh, it's hard to ignore Asia. And that's where spread widening began, and that was uh, all the way back in January. Uh, the overall EM market complex, interestingly, now trades about where it did pre-crisis. So we are we're currently trading at uh, at December 19 levels. Um, we certainly participated in much of this rally. Um, however, the consensus nature of this trade is really beginning to trouble us. So, uh, as with the developed markets, the view is that global liquidity 
uh, trumping fundamental concerns and ignoring a growing number of default scenarios, just as mentioned in high yield, can be a troubling thing to face when uh, as an investor. Um, among our additional concerns, we see increasing U.S.-China tensions of late. Uh, there's, of course, the U.S. election uncertainty, which has an impact on emerging markets. There's oil price volatility, which keeps, uh, which seems to keep uh, ebbing and flowing. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, COVID-19 is still the single largest source of potential risk in the second half of 2020, uh, because there can be indeed be uh, uh, more flare-ups uh, here and there. So, so far, these risks haven't really derailed the rally, but we no longer see the sort of value in the sector uh, as we did as a monolithic entity. So we're approaching emerging market strategies from a more market-neutral position, but trying to find value uh, in a more long and short combined approach. Um, one area that we do like is in local currency bonds, as they happen to be, and they really happen to be our favorite part of the EM market right now. Uh, with a significant portion of the rate retracement behind us, we still see incremental gains ahead, particularly when we marry the strategy to our FX team's call for the U.S. dollar to begin a period of, of further weakening. Uh, EM rates should also benefit from their own disinflation, um, continued policy easing there as well, and quite honestly, the relative value to the largely zero or even negative bound yield of the development rates market that I mentioned in your first question. So um, just, just going even further down, getting a little bit more granular, again, it's, it's much more of a bond picking, uh, bond picking market from our perspective. Uh, I'll give you just one name that we really like a lot right now from the bottom up. That would be Argentina. Uh, that's one of our favorite uh, bottom up single single uh, issue selection names. Uh, it has recently submitted a very much uh, more bondholder friendly restructuring plan. If you know anything about Argentina historically, it's never whether they'll default, but when they'll default. They've done this a number of different times. Uh, right now, they're they're working on a restructuring plan that should really present significant upside to owners of their debt. So, as you can see, uh, if you are a bond picker, you can find lots of uh, lo lots of really interesting things in the EM space. We just don't think that you should have an overall beta exposure to it. If I can summarize then some of the insights that Dominic shared with us. In answer to the question about the outlook for bond yields, Dominic cited that in the near term, uh, certainly it's going to depend on the data that we see around the pandemic, infection rates, and so on. Uh, certainly what happens uh, around the development of a vaccine. But if economic growth uh, remains weak or is threatened by the pandemic, governments are going to have to continue uh, increasing debt, issuing debt to support the economy. Uh, but at the same time, remember that there's a lot of demand for that debt. And in particular, the U.S. has the advantage of issuing in dollars, and everyone seems to very much still want dollars these days. The other thing to keep in mind, particularly, say, if we look at Europe and, of course, negative yields for bones, but that partly reflects what has been a low growth scenario, and we don't necessarily see that changing anytime soon. Uh, but if we think a little bit longer term, even if for now we see an environment that's going to support low government bond yields, the current level of fiscal spending that we do have currently is not sustainable. Uh, someday, government uh, balance sheets are going to matter. Eventually, interest rates are going to have to reflect those fundamentals. And what we anticipate seeing is a rise in interest rates, 
uh, reflecting what's likely to be falling credit quality. Getting to the corporate bond space, uh, let's not forget at the beginning of the year, we were looking for two to two and a half percent growth for US GDP, now forecast for this year minus six and a half. And the way companies are responding to that environment is by borrowing money to keep themselves in operation uh, when they've had otherwise a dramatic fall in revenues. Consequently, we've had record corporate bond issuance, but in the same way uh, we discussed for governments, corporations also cannot continue issuing debt at this level. At the same time, bond spreads have fallen dramatically uh, back to levels, frankly, that we saw at the beginning of the year, and that does seem to be a disconnect for us. So particularly in the high-yield space, given the market outlook, given the economic outlook, uh, concerned about the level of spreads there, and therefore have a preference for investment grade, and in particular, probably the higher rated parts of the investment grade universe. And then finally, what are the other areas of opportunity? I certainly still like the Eurozone periphery. Clearly, the agreement for next generation EU has helped Italian government bond spreads. We believe there's still further uh, room to go uh, for those spreads to decline in Italy and some of the other peripheral markets at least partly because of ongoing support from the ECB. Uh, we mentioned higher rated investment grade debt. Uh, and then, of course, people continuing to look at emerging market debt, given that the alternative in much of the developed world uh, is negative or at least very low yield. Uh, but honestly, concerns there are somewhat similar to those that we have for high yield. Spreads have fallen a long ways uh, in, in some markets back to pre-crisis levels. While we know that the challenges, particularly around the pandemic, are still there, uh, we have the U.S. election coming up, there are U.S.-China tensions, so a lot of opportunity uh, for things to upset the markets within the EM space and a preference for local currency debt, uh, at least partly because we do anticipate the dollar weakening. Uh, but as much as that, it really is an environment where it requires some uh, bond selection kind of picking the right parts of the market to find the best risk-reward trade-off. Well, I'm going to thank Dom for joining us this week. Uh, if your listeners have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your PMP Paribas Asset Management contact. Otherwise, we wish you a very good week and take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.